You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. To provide a bit of context for this service, uh, the beginning was cut off in the recording, so... Uh, just bear with. Dave introduced our new sermon series, Blessings and Battles, where we're looking at chapters three and four in Matthew, Jesus's baptism and his subsequent temptations. Enjoy. So it's a very famous passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. This is the one from Matthew. Um, and a couple of things to notice. John's reaction when Jesus turns up, John says, this isn't right. I shouldn't be up here baptizing you down there it should be the other way around and Jesus says no this is proper for us to do and to fulfill all righteousness so John consented so this idea immediately we see of substitution that we'll come back to this like John saying well I should be down there and you should be up here doing this and Jesus says no I'm going to be in your place and then um this thing, the, the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This crucial element to this story that defines what it is to be human, to understand that the creator of the universe loves us, accepts us, connects with us, is well pleased with us. I think this is the thing that every one of our souls is looking for, to, to know that, to just be confident and affirmed in that pleasure of God, his knowledge of us and his pleasure in us. So it's really, this is often separated in our Bibles with a heading, so we sometimes think of this as two different things, but there's this real crucial word in it, the word then. So then can be used to indicate a sequence of events, but it can also be used to uh, indicate a consequence consequence, that sequence that goes together. So you could say, I went to the gym and then I went to the doctors because you, had, you went to the gym at 9 o'clock and you had a 10.30 appointment at the doctors. You could say, I went to the gym, then I went to the doctors because at the gym you dropped something on your foot and you needed to go to the doctors. So one is just a sequence, one is a consequence. This then is a consequence. And we know that because it's not just the order of things that happen, but in Mark's gospel, he said... Jesus was baptized, and then immediately he was led by the Spirit into the, de- the desert. So these things are connected, and they're connected with God. It's the Holy Spirit that is involved in this. And so there's a deliberate contrast between these two environments. There's the river and the desert. There's community, and there's isolation. There's uh, strength and joy, and then there's weakness and despair. There's... Uh, abundance, and then there's uh, nothing. And what I want to talk about over these two weeks is the principle of, ha- of how we should understand life to work as a Christian, that when God is at work, there's opposition. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I have come so that you might have life and have it in all abundance, but the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So there's these different uh, objectives for our experience gods and the enemies. So when I was first uh, a teenager, I was first get, you know, get, getting connected with church, quite often I would go to these events and we'd hear what I think of as the party gospel, which is become a Christian and all your problems will disappear. Everything will be wonderful. God will solve all. If you've got problems, become a Christian. They'll all go away. 
And it's obviously, our, you know, our experience isn't correct in that because it doesn't happen. But there is a subtle version that infects us all of this, which I call the religious brain, which is so prevalent in us, which is you get what you deserve, you reap what you sow. So it's, we see it in the Bible, this religious brain. Uh, and it's how other relationships work. What you, what you get is because of something you've done. You deserve it in some way. So we see in this passage in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, it says, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Things are going good. You've got God's, Jesus got God's pleasure. Then 4-2 at the very end, he was hungry. Well, that's bad. So a religious brain will say, well, obviously there's God's displeasure. You know, the, our circumstances are connected to something deeper. And so we do this in all sorts of areas of our life that we think there's some connection. So the thing that motivates the Taliban is if, you know, things aren't going well, if we want to find the blessing and everything to go as well, we have to behave better. We have to fulfill the laws of our religion more and more and be more strict because then we'll get God's blessing. That's what's cutting it off. We do it in the church. If you've been, sometimes in churches, they have this, they look back and say, if only we could get back to Acts 2 type church, then revival would break out. But it's still a religious action. It's only if we can achieve something, if we do the right things, then God's blessing will flow. It's not God's side. It's about our earning. And we do it in all areas of our life. We think about this in relationships with people, in jobs. We think about it in politics. If you look at what's uh, motivating a lot of politics at the moment, it's this idea, if we just do this, then everything will go well. So this is a spiritual thing as well that we need to be aware of. If you read the book of Job, he meets with his comforters. They have this religious brain, and they're trying to make sense of his circumstances. And they're saying, well... It's because you've done something wrong. You just need to repent. You know, it's all about your circumstances. Because what, they, what we see as we read the book, but they don't know, is that first chapter that draws back the curtain on the spiritual realm and shows this thing that's going on in, in God's courtroom, God's throne room, that happens before that sets it all up. And so to have a perspective on the spiritual battle we're in, is to understand that the religious brain doesn't work here. We need to understand grace. Grace is the opposite of the religious brain. Religious brain is we earn things from God. Grace is undeserved favor. God is good to us for no reason for us. And it's an unnatural and counterintuitive way to think, which is why we have to think about this. So talking about this kind of spiritual battle that goes on, I became a Christian in the 90s in a charismatic church, and it was kind of this hyper-spiritualized environment often. Everyone was reading, the, did it, who's read the book Pierce in the Darkness by Frank Peretti? Yeah, so we were reading that, and it's kind of more like some kind of sci-fi fantasy story that's set in a Christian world and all of this. And people would say things like, oh, I got a puncher on the motorway. The devil's really attacking me. So they, they would say, you know, they would see the devil's doing that. And it just wasn't thought about, I don't think. People would just say this stuff, the devil's attacking me, this has happened, I got a puncture. And, you know, certainly as a 17-year-old, I wasn't really thinking about it. And you get this sense of what's known as dualism, really, that there's God and the devil, and they're equally powerful, and they're, you know, duking it out to see who will win. And, you know, we've got to be on God's side to help him overcome the devil, all this and it's not true at all. So the devil is not omnipresent. 
the devil is not on the M5 <laughs> puncturing someone's tire at, the, at that moment. Um, and they're not in some finely balanced conflict. God has already won. Jesus has already got the victory. So there was this kind of like super spiritualizing of everything. But what I think we need to understand is everything is spiritual, but in a different way. And one of the ways we've got to understand is we're, we're always looking for meaning in our circumstances. And so a religious brain looks at our circumstances and wants to find meaning. And so finds meaning in things that we can't explain by connecting it to, to something unseen. I think if we look for meaning in our circumstances, we'll get pulled off track. So I think instead we need to find the meaning really is in our response. That's, the, that's where the spiritual battle is happening, our response. And so I think often it's far better just to, rather than try and find meaning in our circumstances, just to have a more approach of it is what it is. You know, this life is difficult, things go wrong, they don't always work. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Um, things just happen. But the meaning, that, the real meaning, I think, is in how we respond to that. So we're going to think about what is the battle, how does it take place, and what does victory or defeat look like? So firstly, what is the battle? In the passage we've read, the battle is over identity. Who is Jesus? And you see this. This is why I stopped it here, because it goes on to the temptations. God says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. God is giving Jesus identity. He's, he's you know, saying, this is your position. This is your status. This is my feelings towards you. Then when things go wrong, the battle becomes over that. And the, what the devil says is, if you are the son of God, question that. Are you really the son of God? So it's that questioning of our identity. It says in 1 John 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's all past tense. God has done all of that. So when we hit hard circumstances, we think, oh, I'm not sure. Am I really? Does God really know about me? Does he care? Is he interested? Because if he loved me, I wouldn't be having this thing go on. That's the battles going on over our identity. So we know we're in a battle when we find ourselves questioning whether God, is he really on my side? Does he really love me? Because that is our identity that we're questioning. That's where the battle. So how does this happen? So the devil isn't on the M5 waiting to punch her tires. So we, we're kind of shaped often by our horror film imaginations of demons and stuff like this. I did a year, I worked for a church for a year, and I lived in a place called Taplow outside Maidenhead, which was the home to, uh, like there was an old abbey there, which apparently was also the place where the first ever British people were baptized when the first Christians came to the British Isles. There's a well there. Anyway, it's now, I don't know if it is now, but it was in the late 90s, the, had been bought by a Japanese Buddhist cult. And uh, the people in the church were really upset about this. And they said, do you know what happens when the leader comes over? People bow down and worship this human being. And, you know, it's all really appalling. Anyway, so sometimes I would get back late at night and I would have to walk up the stairs in this house where I was lodging. And there was a window at the top. And 
like all the lights would be out and I'd be walking up to my room and I would be so terrified that I thought, what if I saw a demon fly across the, uh, the window outside? It would just really freak me out. And then I thought that would be the least, that would be the most counterproductive thing the devil could do, you know, because we're always going through life, you know, while I, do I believe, you know, it's, it's hard to believe in something you can't see. If I suddenly saw something like that, it would actually strengthen my faith, not, faith, not destroy it. So this idea of horror films, I'm not sure it's very helpful for us. So in, uh, this isn't an anti-Japanese thing, but just another story about in Tokyo in 1995, there was, there's, a, there's a doomsday cult called Am Shin, Shinriko. I don't know if you remember this, but they, their aim is to destroy the world. That's what they wanted to do. Uh, and so they decided they wanted to... Uh, kill a lot of people in Tokyo. So what they didn't do is go person to person trying to kill them. What they did is they released gas into the underground uh, subway station. Um, and it ki- I, can't, I, I don't remember how many people died, but it killed a lot of people. But what happened there is instead of them having to go to each person, they just filled that room with something that was harmful and poisonous to someone. And I think that's a really good way of understanding one of the main ways the devil wants to attack our identity is through the air that we're breathing, the culture, everything we find ourselves in that we don't even really notice feels invisible to us. So this this verse, I think, helps us understand spiritual battle and our response to it. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in this, we've got this idea of conforming to the way that society and culture works. It talks about the way our mind works. Is our mind working as a religious brain, or are we being, are we being given the mind of Christ? Are we accepting that? Are we understanding grace? And then to discover and approve what God's desire is, his will is, that is to give us life and in all abundance. So when we recognize the battles going on, an attack on our identity, we need to uh, think about what's going on. And, the, and often this is done just because of the way that the world around us thinks and everyone else thinks and the way we're feeding our mind, which is why we need to think sometimes, is it helpful? So Culture wants to pull us away from that identity of God's uh, loving care. And so we, we often see things that will suggest to us things about the way that, what it means to be human that isn't very connected to being human, so, or the God's way. So this is a trivial example, but we were, I remember watching Friends, and they had this big... Um, joke that someone hadn't had sex for three weeks and it was like they, like it was like they were gonna die because they hadn't and these ideas just become part of common culture and we think those and so we have lots of those going around our heads about what makes us pleasing what gives us identity and is it how often we are you know being romantic with people is it how much money we got in the bank is it that our status of our job so there's something that we feel we need to please to have a, have a good identity, and often it isn't God. And a lot of these reasons are pulled at by culture. It's based on the culture that we want. And we recognize sometimes when we get upset that we don't have something we think we should have, and it's not God's given identity to us, then we realize that there's something else that's pulling us, and that's a battle that's going on. 
And so, what, I can't remember the three questions I had. What, what is the battle? How does it take, so what is the battle? It's about our identity. How does it take place? It's this pulling away to please other things. It's suggested to us. Um, and then what is victory? Everything is spiritual. And our approach, our response to that battle is where I believe the spiritual thing is going on. Because being in a battle is normal. It means that God is working. But the important thing is how do we respond to that? So we look for meaning in our circumstances often, and we say, oh, this must mean this is going on, or this is what God's doing, or whatever. Or, you know, our puncher on the M5, this must be a spiritual attack, because there's some connection in our brain that because we're a Christian, we shouldn't have a puncher on the M5. You know, we should be above that kind of normal. God's blessing should extend to that, and if we don't have it, it means we're under attack. But I think we need to look at our meaning into our response. In Romans 8, there's a passage about weakness and struggle. And Paul says that we are more than conquerors. So it's a battle that we don't just get through. We don't just overcome the battle, but we are transformed through the battle as well. It's more than just getting through it. And I think the choice is to try in that battle to hold on to the identity God wants to give us or to chase after fulfilling an identity that we think is important. So we might, have, we might find that we f- are having a hard time in a circumstance. We work out that actually that is because it feels important to me for this to be going on, for me to be pleasing. So maybe it's a, a situation at work, it's not going well, and we think, but I need to be respected at work. That's really important to me. And so then what we can do is we can respond by pushing more into it. Well, I've got to get, get in earlier, stay later. I need to try and somehow get, make sure I get the full credit for this piece of work. And I need, oh, and that didn't go very well, so I need to somehow kind of bury that. Because we're fighting now to get an identity that is something that is not ours, and we're being pulled away from God. Or in that same situation, we say, it's not going very well, but I want to trust. I know that God loves me. I know he's going to look after me. I'm just going to push into him. I'm going to rest in his strength and not try and do it in my own. And actually, each time we have these battles, it's an opportunity for us to realize that God is at work. So this is the thing that we often feel if the devil gave me the puncher, it's like the devil's at work. I think it's better to say we've had a puncher. Now, is, now my response will define whether it's the devil at work or whether it's God at work. Because if we get angry and, and shout at our family about the puncher and then we get angry with the AA man and then we resent the money we have to give and because we had to pay for this wheel to be t- repaired, we're going to be less generous with our money in all other ways. We've been pulled out of the identity that God wants us to have and we've been moved away from God. But if instead we're just like, this is awful, but it doesn't change anything really about who I am, and I am going to uh, trust God and be able to be kind, respectful, generous, all these things in the midst of that. And that's a really trivial example, but I've been amazed, constantly amazed by meeting people in just awful, tragic circumstances and discovering this identity within them that comes out. And I think specifically of a family who just went through a horrific situation that they could have been really angry with God, really angry with the world that had gone through this. 
And instead they were saying, it, like it had gone really badly, but they were saying, do you know what? We are just so thankful for the, the doctors and nurses at that time. They were so kind, so wonderful. And to see coming out in tragedy, this likeness of Christ is really, I thought was really impressive. And that's what we want to, you know, that's our true identity. So we see our identity really more in crisis than in the good times. You remember Jesus' story about the wise and foolish builder? And it's the foundation. So is your life built on sand or is it built on rock? It, unlike the kids' illustrations where they have the big rock sticking out of the earth and then they have a beach, you know, and they're building, and it's really obvious. Foundations are what we do not see. Foundations only get exposed and tested when the storm comes and the rain comes. And so it's at that point. So actually, every time we have a we hit hardship, there's actually an opportunity there to lean into God and to trust him more and to allow him to transform us. That is becoming more than a conqueror. There's also an opportunity to go away, to get angry, to get cross, to push into trying to do things in our own way, to start to resent others and judge others and feel sorry for yourself or whatever it is. So in that point of attack, we have a choice to lean into God. This is the spiritual choice. Do we lean into God, allow him to transform us, to go to him and say, I'm struggling, I, I'm not trusting you, but I want to. Can you help me? I want to rebuild. This part of my life is obviously not stable. I want to rebuild it on you, your promise. Or are we like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I'm now angry. I'm now upset. I'm now feeling sorry for myself. I'm now going to lash out. I'm now going to withdraw all these other things that we know we shouldn't do. We just have this opportunity to lean back into grace. And grace is so fantastic. This idea is so goes against the religious mindset. It was only like last year I realized for the first time ever the prodigal son returns. I always thought, this is great. The prodigal son got to the point where he realized he'd done wrong and he went back like with his hat hands and said, I've really, I've really done wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. And then God forgave him. And then I was reading it again. I was like, the prodigal son was hungry and his dad had some food. He went back out of self-interest. But God's grace is such that even in that point of, you know, he could have said, look, I'd have loved it. If you'd have come back when you were full of food, that, this would have been great. But actually, I know what's really going on. But no, this acceptance. So we have this wonderful opportunity each time we find ourselves hitting a hard time. The devil wants an outcome from it. God wants an outcome from it. God's gracious outcome is wonderful. And we end up more secure and more rooted in God's reality. And this is where we get back to this substitution I said at the start. This uh, option that Jesus takes our place. And in return, he offers us his place, which is why we can ask God to give us the mind of Christ. We've, you know, or take hold of it. It's already been given to us. This way of seeing the world the way he sees it. So next session which will be on video we'll look at the temptations and think about those but again kind of to understand as we go through life the good and bad of how we respond and discover god thank you for listening to this week's podcast if you'd like to know more about extra vineyard church head over to our website www.exe.vin